Hello, everybody. Welcome to Couple Nurses Podcast, where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topic one conversation at a time with your host, Matt Chartrick, and myself, Peter Fundera. Hope you guys are having a blessed day. Hope you guys are having a good April for the most part. Quarantine is still going on. It's going hard and heavy. But thank you guys for tuning in. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram. Check us out on YouTube. You know, we're everywhere. We're global. We're globalizing. We're spreading quicker than the coronavirus in itself, guys. So just keep doing what you're doing. Rate us. Give us the five stars. If you ain't five stars, don't waste your time. Check out the next episode. You might like that one a little better. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing good, man. Actually, speaking of everything that's going on, yesterday I went shopping and I couldn't go to the store because it said no shop, no mask. And it kind of blew me away that the LA governor or the governor of California passed a law that just took into effect yesterday. I didn't know about it. So it's crazy how, you know, sometimes we look at news and it doesn't affect us. And now we are being affected on the global level. And even in America, it's just like, whoa, these changes and everything. And, you know, shout out to all the people that are keeping saying, just, you know, be mindful and I think, you know, before we start the show, we should definitely say, guys, stay safe, keep your mental health on point, and don't don't neglect that. Take time to yourself and reach out to people that you love. Say hello, like, you know, if you feel lonely or if you feel like someone needs a conversation, talk to them. It's important. We have to be connected during this time and with everything that's going on, and we are going to get through this as a species, as a human race. Respect. And friends, I this is going to, I'm doing great. This is going to be over, guys. Just, you know, keep at it. Few of these states are are hitting the curve, or they're starting to flatten the curve. So California doing a great job, but I didn't know that they require you to wear masks in stores. Is it every store or just like the the big stores? Like anywhere, anywhere you go now, grocery stores. They want you to even wear it in public, but I'm still being resistful to that. But it's really? um, I know I know some states. Someone was telling me that, that they'll fine you. I think in Thailand they'll fine you and they'll take you to jail if you even um get past the curfew. Of like 6 p.m. I believe so some countries are taking it you know very seriously I think here in America we're you know a little bit westernized and we believe in free speech and freedom and we just feel like everything got taken away all of a sudden and we're just kind of um revolting a little bit but yeah it's happening it's a real thing and it's um it's interesting we're definitely going to reflect on this for a very long time yeah I don't really have that big of an issue with the mask like if you want to wear a mask that's fine like I wore a mask to the store one time I think it was, I was a target, you know, I was either hard target or, or home Depot. And like there was lines outside because they're, they're keeping count of how many people could be in the store at one time. I think it's like 20 or 30 is like the max amount. And they literally like, you know, have a lady in the front and a lady by the exit and they communicate via cell phone and they tell us like, you know, when to enter, how many people are in the store or how many people they need to enter. And it's, it's like a whole system now, but uh, it's going to be over. So hopefully everything, calms down and people don't end up wearing masks forever or for their, their daily loose daily use once this ends. But we'll see how things change because we're definitely living through some shit. This is going to be in history books. This is going to be in, in textbooks. You know, this is like a, a major event that, that we're going through. They had the housing crash. No, wait, we have COVID-19 in 2020 April. Man. Uh, for real, man, it's going to be interesting. So let's, let's start with some stats here. And then we're going to go into a little bit of like statistics of age when this is affecting me and Peter will give you the hospital rundown of what's going on and everything that's happening. And then we're going to show you guys some evidence-based studies on PEEP, on ventilator associated like pneumonia that's causing ARDS and proning. I think it's going to be a really good uh, special episode for you guys. Just like episode, as they always are, right? Exactly, yeah. PD. Yeah, so I'll shoot you guys some stats real quick. So worldwide, there's about 1.7 million cases that resulted in 107,000 deaths. 
but there is almost 400,000 recoveries. So worldwide, I believe the death rate is about 6% uh, currently. The United States, you know, it's starting to become a big an issue. We're testing a lot, we're testing more, so the numbers are, are gonna be high, you know. So in here in the US, there's about 522,000 cases. There resulted in 20,000 deaths and 28,000 recovered. So I think, believe our death rate is between like four and 5%. So, so yeah, I wonder how this compares to, to other like pandemics or other diseases. And maybe we'll touch base upon the next episode. But, but for right now, you know, we're hanging in there. There's a lot of states that are starting to rise. New York is still up there. New Jersey is still up there. Uh, Florida starting to, to increase. Michigan had a big issue in Detroit and just all over Michigan for the most part. We're supposed to hit hit the um, hit the peak, I believe, in a week or two here in, in Chicago. So we'll just see how it goes. But so far, I feel like things are being managed properly. I feel like ever since the beginning, ever since COVID started, people aren't taking it as lightly as they did at the beginning. And a lot of these state governors uh, and mayors, they're not taking it lightly either. So they're getting things prepared. They're even overpairing. I like the fact that these people are overpairing because you know, you really don't know what's going to happen. They're projecting anywhere between like 200,000 to like 2 million deaths in the United States. So let's, let's protect 2 million people. And if only 200,000 die, you know, that's a, that's solid. That's a win. And that's why we're, you know, being so strict on social distancing and things like that. One thing though, I was reading an article and the federal government supposedly was skewing the, the cases, meaning they were saying people were dying from COVID that weren't really dying from COVID. And I, it's very gray right now. So that's why I didn't want to bring it up as like an article. I'll look into it next for next um, episode for the COVID. But two things could be happening. One, it's either they are trying to create more fear in the media. And that's why they're skewing the results, right? Having higher numbers. Or they want their mortality rate to be lower because more cases will create a smaller mortality rate in, in the long run. Because we're seeing such high mortality in the hospitals because of, you know, the lack of equipment, masks, and blah, 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 or like New York, let's just say. So I'm going to follow up with that. When it, when it comes to people in the United States here dying, if you are the ages of 85, you have a 10 to 27% chance of dying. And that's, even if you have pneumonia, you know, you are at risk and you're older. So just protect your loved ones that are older, definitely. And when it comes to 65 to 84, you have 3 to 11 and then we're going down to 1% to 3% if you're 55 to 64. And if you're 20 to 54, general public, your chance of death is honestly less than 1% currently. So we're just trying to protect the elderly here. And I think there's no fatalities of less than the age of 19, I believe. LA might have had a one, but I'm not too sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what that is worldwide, though. It might be a little bit different worldwide because obviously our healthcare system is, you know, is, is really good at, at taking care of this this issue but there's a lot of there's been a lot of issue going on between like the cdc and the world health health organization like i don't know like the whole like i know they give us updates every so often but i feel like it was taken too lightly in the beginning and they kind of let it run its course a little too much i feel like, I feel like this issue should have happened if you know if they found out something was going on back in january or even december like when i take the extra precautions and you know just just tackle it earlier than the longer you know you know, it's actually messed up, and I love that I could talk about this because this is unfiltered in a way, or it soon will be on Patreon, but for the most part here, we could say as much as we like to. It's messed up how Taiwan is not able to uh, receive information, stats, research from the World Health Organization 
because China stopped that from happening. That is so messed up. So basically, China believes that Taiwan is part of China, and they still kind of consider themselves a separate country. And the World Health Organization denied information to them because of China, because the lack of ownership that China has over Taiwan. Like that's messed up how we're withholding that kind of information. But it kind of still shows you that there's politics being played, you know, put into place, coronavirus or not, pandemic or not, there's still like those things happening. Yeah, it's, it's that crazy. Like, you know, like the news says so many people are dying, people are getting sick left and right from, from COVID. And yet there's like so much politics in like the background. Like do they, it makes you feel like these politicians and these people that are, that are very wealthy don't even, don't even care. Like these, you know, people from different, different states. Like I'm not sure if China, I'm not sure what the title of the Chinese president is. I'm not sure if it's prime minister or, or anything like that. I'm not sure what that title Dic- is. But, dictator for sure, huh? Or whatever you want to call them. Like it's interesting how they're still playing these, these little games, you know, these like territory grabs. And then, then they say that, hey, people are dying. We got, you got to think about COVID. We, I think it's not COVID, but there's so much play in like the background. Some conspiracy shit going on for sure. Something's going on. Something's for sure going on. Something's for sure going on. I mean, PD have been always looking these kind of things up. I don't think this is the time to bring it up right now, but we know there's definitely people benefiting from what is going on. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll see. Maybe there's gonna be books about it, but me and Peter will keep you updated on this. So let's talk a little bit about about the um, the hospital, the ICU. Like, what are you seeing? And I'll kind of share what I'm what I'm seeing. Yeah, because you sent like a you posted a picture on on Instagram when you were like like with the mask and your your stuff that you use for COVID nineteen patients is a lot different than I use because I use a face shield and like the the duck bile N ninety five mask and you looks like you have like a whole setup looks like you're going into war the papper the positive yeah. pressure mask so th- I prefer using it because I have a little bit of a beard so that protects me and it's just blowing air down my face and away from my neck so I'm not getting the virus. Let's just say the virus is airlized. So if you have somebody on the high flow, they don't want you to wear N95 at all. If you're intubating somebody, no N95, straight up PAPR, which is protecting you a little bit more. So I just personally wear it all the time. It's just convenient for me instead of having the mask on my face. Yeah, it looks looks pretty gnarly too, dude. It legit looks like you're either like an exterminator, you're going to exterminate some, some, some bugs in someone's crib, or you look like you're going into like, like a war. Like you just land on Mars and you're trying to, you know, breathe some air and see what the fuck's going on. I feel like, like I said, I just feel like, like I'm going to war, man. It's interesting. Yeah. Cause first something simple, a 95 mask and just a face shield. But so the way our unit is kind of organized is we have beds devoted to ICU patients. And then we have beds devoted to, you could say kind of, more stable COVID patients on the same floor. They're, they're divided between beds. I think there's like 10, no, like eight ICU beds. I'm not sure what it is now because I haven't been there, been there for a while. Uh, but some partial of the unit is for ICU COVID and then the rest of it's for stable COVID. But what we're doing is we're doing like preliminary intubation where if someone keeps needing a high, higher oxygenation rate, so their nasal cannulas keep getting increased every couple hours, we're trying to intubate probably above six liters. So if they keep going on that up on that O2, you know, every hour, every two hours, up by one, up by two. Once they hit six, we just intubate them because they're, I guess research is showing that people have higher outcomes if you intubate early compared to intubate later. I'm not sure how it is for you guys, like the criteria. I don't know the criteria, but I know they're definitely being proactive with intubations. Even some um, ECMO patients that we're, that we're getting, they'll trick them right away. Because they know that, hey, they're going to be on this for a very long time. Let's save the trachea. 
And another thing I'm noticing, they're installing the HEPA filters in every single room. So they're installing these machines to create negative pressure in the, in the room. So when you open the door, when you're walking into the patient's room, the virus is not coming out into the doorway. It's getting sucked in because of negative pressure out to um, the atmosphere, wherever it goes. So they finally installed all of them in um, every single room. I had one left. There was one uh, bed left in the ICU. And so I had to transfer the patient out of the room into the HEPA filter to install the last one. And it was interesting because I guess when you're transferring the patient, you're supposed to put a blanket over them. I didn't know. No one told me anything. So I just drove the patient out. And then they're, they're like bitching at me. Yo, where's the blanket? I'm like, ouch. Sorry, guys. Didn't know. At least the patient was intubated. So it's a closed circuit for the most part. So the virus is not just blowing in the atmosphere. So that, that's, that's one thing that's happening. So everybody's on airborne precautions. Remember how the CDC was flipping back and forth? Everybody's airborne. And they're getting a lot better with um, testing when it comes to the rapid testing for the RS. Um, is it the RSIGs? The rapid swabbing tests. Mm. Yeah, made by made by Abbott Laboratories. You know, they also make our LVADs too. So it's pretty interesting how they how they hopped on that. But are you seeing any kind of like specific demographics? Like majority of our COVID patients are African American, but I do live in a predominantly like African American you know place, Chicago, you know, the South Side, and just where my hospital is placed, we take on a lot of population with this being African-American and a lot of them are, are more on a heavier side as well. Are you seeing so, any kind of similarities? So we have a lot of, we have Spanish culture and Asian, but mostly I've been seeing white and like um, Latino. And it's interesting because we say, Oh, there's no core morbidities. Right. And it's like younger people sometimes in their fifties, sixties, there was a 35 year old that I, um, I brought from, uh, they came from a different hospital. I wanted to say the name, but I'm like, damn HIPAA. Yeah. So, I got to hold myself there. So came from a different hospital, ECMO. His wife's pregnant right now. Like he's full out on like life support. But we're not realizing that these people have hypertension, hyperlipidemia. They're, some of them are overweight. And that people don't realize that, hey, there's a cascade that's going on. We talked about the metabolic cascade. And I talked about it with an intensivist that they already have a lot of underlying issues that weren't tested properly because as you know, me and you are passionate about um, prevention medicine and we don't do it enough in America. So you have a lot of sick people that are walking around thinking they're healthy and then they're getting hit with this virus. And it's just, you know, off balance into the point where they're needing ICU. And this is where we're seeing the, the crazy cases. Not everybody's, you know, a crazy case, but the shit that we're seeing, it's really, really severe. Yeah. Well, I feel like people don't understand is that if you get COVID, you're not automatically going to go, go to the hospital and end up in the ICU. Like people have COVID where they just get the, the hydroxychloroquine and then it's the myosin and guess what? They go home, you know, and they just keep living normal quarantine life. It's not, it's not a, a, like a death sentence. If you get COVID, you know, you're going to need more oxygen. You're going to go to the ICU. You're going to get intubated. No, it's not. It's not how it works. It works. That happens to people that had these comorbidities comorbidities that Matt, that Matt has just, just mentioned. You know, healthy individuals like like myself and, and yourself and and people that are, that are healthy in, in general and they, they know they're healthy, you don't really have that big of a worry to to like, you know, don't worry, don't blow it out of proportion. Like there is genetic issues with us that we obviously can't see and, and can't tell and COVID might just hit us a lot harder than other people, but those are kind of like the except, exceptions from the system. You know, people die, they have the flu in high rates rates as well, you know. And that's like the thing people, people need to remember is that like 
COVID is not a death sentence. Like you're not going to end up in the ICU intubated if you get COVID. You know, it's not that big of a deal if you're healthy. And that's the problem with media. Like it just pushed to like, hey guys, sit your ass at home, wear a damn mask outside because you're going to end up in the ICU and there's not enough ventilators. Um, and with the real quick on, on rapid swabbing test, some of our results are coming back like within two hours. Some of it's pretty quick, dude. I'm not sure if you guys have, have the rapid testing or do you guys have to wait like 24 plus hours? I had a patient that took like three to four days and then they canceled it by accident. Somewhere in labs would do another test, took another couple of days and we just sent her out to a, to a nursing home just to quarantine, to be honest. So and unfortunately these tests are hundred percent proof. Like we had a patient that had all the like attributes that like COVID would show and the swab came back negative. And then our ID doctor was like, no, this is for sure wrong. Swab her again, because she literally has everything thing that we would be with COVID. All her labs looked like she had COVID. She looked like she had COVID. She was intubated. She had the, the whole works done. Everything was shown COVID except for the, the test. So we just said, retest her and guess what? It came back positive. So there is some false negatives out there. So you can't just, you still can't kind of just base it on just that test. You have to still look at the clinical picture, you know? I, I think it's 60 to 70% like um, success rate. There was a guy that got swabbed negative twice and the ICU physician said, F this, we're going to do a bronch. And when you do a bronchoscopy, meaning you kind of go into the lungs and did it a biopsy. So that's going to be a definite result. I didn't follow up whether it came back positive or negative. And also one thing I wanted to mention to hospitals is like the shift of dynamics. I don't think we, we understand a perspective, but in the ICU, we do everything for the patient. We are the CNA. We, we, we bathe them. We wash them. We change them. We take care of them. The lines, drips, all that. And now like the care changed a little bit. And because we have all these patients that are on airborne precautions, we have runners. So we have nurses from different units, sometimes from the ER, the PACU. Um, there was a, a med surge one and they don't know the ICU that well. And they want, they have to get um, supplies for us. So now the dynamics are changing and now we have to kind of delegate tasks again, where before we didn't delegate anything, we just took care of the patient 100%. So that, that changes things quite a bit, or I'll get frustrated because if you have a nurse, you know, that works med surge, she has no idea how to, the unit operates, where things are. So now you're kind of standing, you know, banging on a glass door, I need this, or you're writing with a marker. And it's, um, it's, it's so interesting. Like I'm, I'm grateful for the experience and it kind of shows you how teamwork makes the dream work at the end of the day, no matter what it is. Yeah. I feel like units in general are starting to like, they are becoming closer together as a unit, maybe like, you know, because in time of crisis, as human beings, we like to, you know, come together and just work as a team more because it's a crisis. So we're trying to get ourselves out of it because the, this crisis affects all of us. So there's no time to kind of like talk shit or just or like overthink things. You just got to work, work together as, as a team. Like you put that stuff stuff behind and you, you just, just get shit done. And since COVID is a respiratory issue, guys, like if you're not really familiar with like the ventilator or the settings or like the pressures in the lungs, or maybe you've never seen a ventilator up until now. Because I know what they're doing in our hospital is they're, they're training like med surge nurses, floats, things like that to take on ICU patients just in case we need to kind of, um, just to kind of prioritize the COVID ones. So we, we would give them like more stable ICU patients because there is more stable ICU patients. Not everyone's crashing and burning. So we're starting to teach these med surge nurses and, and these floats how to take care of ICU nurses just so we could kind of take the pressure of us ICU nurses, you know. But if you guys don't really know anything about a ventilator or the pressures, like, you know, we have respiratory therapists out there. You know, they're actually really smart and they probably know more, more than all of us, all of us nurses, because 
the ventilator is the biggest, biggest thing for COVID patients. I would think that's like the respiratory issue. Ventilator is going to be the, the way they save their lives. I had right, an Matthew. awesome idea that just slipped away. Wow. As you were just continuing to saying that, it just um, blossomed away. Oh, so good. I had, we had our first extubated patient mm. successfully that was COVID positive. She wasn't on ECMO or CRT, meaning she wasn't getting dialyzed, but she was extubated and she was COVID positive and she was 83 years old, man. That lady freaking made it. She was a trooper. And one thing that I want to mention is like, I laugh about it. The reason why, do you know why she survived? Because you guys proned her. No, we didn't prone her. She oh, was, she was feisty. That's what freaking made her survive. She was a feisty little grandma, man. When she got extubated, best believe it, I had to put mittens on her. She pulled out her IV and she was just unhappy when I, cause what, what's shitty about this is we're going to have to make some critical decisions in the next couple of weeks when it comes to peak and everything that's happening. We had to basically put her on, from high flow to a, um, a simple mask, 10 liters I had to turn off the Presidex, so she was on a drip to kind of be less agitated, and we had to ship her out because we had to make room for another patient. And I'm like, and I'm like, hey doc, like, look, you know, her heart rate's in the 130. She's tachypnic in the 20s and 30s. Like, she doesn't look comfortable. And she's like, she's like, that that's fine. She's okay. We're gonna have to make a lot more life saving decisions in the next couple of days anyway. So this is nothing. And he said it like that, and he's just being straight up, man. He's like, this is just the things we have to do because we have no room in the ICU. Yeah, that's a good perspective. I know, but aside, aside from the point, dude, she was a freaking feisty grandma, and that's probably why she pulled through, man. Yeah, dude, she's like, she's like you guys haven't even seen, seen the full me. There's no way this COVID's taking me down. I got so much more shit to do. Dude, she said no. Not yeah, going nowhere, dude. It, it's a mental game to say the least, just like with war, cancer. And it kind of proves, Hey man, if you have, if you have that willpower, that drive, something will happen. And there's always a saying, if there's a will, there's a way. Um, Victor Frankl brings it up in his books. And I always tell my patients a story about, you know, the, the Holocaust survivor. So it's gotta be a warrior, man. Mm, that's some shit, man. Yeah, this is dude, crazy times, man. Crazy times. But are you guys proning a lot of your patients too? So the, yeah, it's like gold was, standard now. Gold standard. That I think there was a time where we prone like three in one night. Um, one of them was unstable. We had to prone him back. I don't know what happens, but sometimes with the cardiac output, he was just hypotensive. I don't know if they're doing early proning prevention. I think I wanted to look up an article on that, but proning is definitely a thing that's happening right now with this whole ARDS and everything we're going to talk about. Yeah, and if you guys you? Don't know, and if you yeah, for the most part, yeah, we are. So if you guys don't know what proning is, it's basically flipping a patient from their back to their basic stomach. So you have them lay on their stomach compared to you know, laying on a back like as a normal patient would. And what proning position does, it actually improves ventilation and perfusion matching, and it keeps the alveoli open and evenly distributes uh, an, ex an expiration of pressure. So it basically changes the, the pressure in your lungs just to kind of perfuse your, your blood more and keep the alveoli open. So it's some it's some pretty intense shit. It's one of like the like the last resorts that we really do. Like if proing doesn't doesn't improve it, then not a lot of other, other things will. Because we're trying to prevent like that uh, dead space, correct? Which mm -hmm. is um it's a fine line of understanding this. So if can you explain a dead space a little bit and the zones just to the best of so, your ability? All right, dude. I, I mean I don't know too much of zones. I just got a quick rundown a couple couple days ago regarding these zones. But you basically like you have your lungs and your lungs are devoid divided by are divided into three zones. So you have their top zone, your middle zone, and then your, your lower zone. 
And the zone one, you have a lot of dead space is because your pulmonary artery pressure, or let's just say it'll be called alveolar partial pressure is the highest. So it's more than your arterial pressure and it's more than your venous pressure. So that's, that causes a lot of dead space. And then in your zone three, you have higher shunting. So you have a lot of perfusion without ventilation. And that's because your part, your partial, uh, sorry, not your partial, but your arterial partial pressure is the highest. It's greater than your venous and it's greater than your, your LDR partial pressure. That's why you get more perfusion, but not a lot of ventilation because you got a lot of blood coming in, but not a lot of gas exchange going on. And your ideal, your ideal zone is zone three or not, like guys, zone two is the ideal zone in between one and three. That's like the middle. That's where everything gets dispersed evenly. Um, and you also have your, your, like your front zone and your back zone. So you have your dorsal and your ventral, ventral zone. So when you put somebody on their stomach, you perfuse a different zone. The dorsal zone gets perfused highest when you're laying, and then your, your ventral zone gets perfused better when you're on your stomach. So it kind of evens out the pressures a little bit. And then the place where the alveolar word perfuses as much, now they're going to perfuse more, and you're sliding for, for more gas exchange. So it basically just changes the pressure in your pleural cavity and your pleural space just to kind of evenly disperse this oxygen that you're breathing in. I, that's, I, mean, I can't go any more, more depth than that because, because you know, there's some people that are very intelligent on this kind of stuff, but that's probably the best understanding that I have for it. That's about our pay grade. It's, mm-hmm. um, and some people are already scratching their head like, damn, what did you just say, man? So if yeah. you have to pass forward to 30 seconds, go ahead. Um, when it comes to ARDS, though, so this is like the, the end stage of what we're dealing with. It's not only COVID patients. People with pneumonia, people with elderly patients get um, ARDS. And I think on average, the mortality rate is 36 to 52%. So we have to realize that COVID patients that are passing away, they're passing away from a complication that not only happens in uh, a virus, COVID, it could happen to any kind of pneumonia, bacteria, or not. And since we're talking about ventilators, one setting that I noticed that's being used a lot, so this is probably for whoever's in the ICU right now and listening to it, they're using something called ARPV, PV, which is airway pressure release of ventilation. And it's helping these patients um, like alternate between two levels of positive pressure. And, they're, and the ventilator is also helping them have like spontaneous breaths. So what, what's happening is it's partially supporting you. So it's not over, it's not giving you too much tighter volume because then you're going to cause that um, the, vent, the, the lung injury from ventilators. I don't, I don't know how well it works. It's still not being, it's not like fully evidence-based to help with these patients, but this is something that our ICU physicians are uh, testing. Yeah, and actually like studies have shown that by proning somebody, you cut their, their mortality rate in half. So like Matt said, it was like in a 30s percentile or like 30% of patients that you know, have ARDS die. If you prone them efficiently and effectively for believe it was 16 hours a day, whether on their stomach and then the other eight is on their back, their chance of dying gets cut in half. So it goes from through like 33% to like 16%. So this stuff actually works, man. It's pretty and crazy. It, and one thing that I noticed in the notes here that you wrote down that I wanted to share. So wherever you find them, shout out to that person. So when it comes to ARDS, you basically develop a baby lung, right? So think about it like this. You have one third of your lung is filled with fluid. One third of your lung is collapsed, meaning the alveoli. So we're pushing air in and they're not opening to uh, bring oxygen in. And one third, we're having partial and it's participating in gas exchange. And what we usually do for these patients is we increase their PEEP. So we're, we're basically saying, hey, more positive pressure so we could open up those collapsed lungs and we could kind of facilitate the empyema, which is fluid to push into the, 
to the lungs to improve gas exchange. But unfortunately with higher PEEP, it, um, that one third lung that's actually um, healthy working, if we're overstimulating it with high PEEP, it's actually gonna lead to ventilator associated lung injury, which will facilitate more inflammation, more cytokines, and it's gonna create that cytokine storm that we always talk about. So we could also cause a cytokine storm and these ARDS patients to get worse. And that's why you, you have to have a legit ICU intensivist and maybe you know early prevention of proning to get the job done. That's why we're, we're seeing such high mortality rates and probably why what happened in Italy, as we mentioned, you know, they just didn't have enough resources, staff, ventilators to prevent these people from, um, what is it called, from getting healthy. And this is what we also talk about, flattening the curve. I, I don't know if we're repeating ourselves, but I'm going to say it anyway. We're trying to prevent the influx of people that are coming into the hospital because we could deal with this properly. But if you have way too much people, then we're, we're starting to see shittier care, which aka increases mortality. Matthew, I couldn't even have said it better myself. It was beautiful. Now, I hope you guys learned a lot from us today. This is COVID update number four. We talked about some things going on in the hospitals. We talked about ARDS. We talked about while we prone individuals. We threw you some stats. So guys, you know, go enjoy the outdoors. Go for a walk six feet apart. Bring a friend, but you know, maybe you got to put those AirPods in to communicate. But six feet apart, social distancing. If you don't got to leave your home, try not to. But that's not saying don't leave it. Still go for that walk. Get some exercise. Hope you guys have an amazing day. We'll tune in next week, guys. Hasta luego. Peace out.